This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. As the 2015 season winds down to its last game, ESPN aired a 30 for 30, paying tribute to the single greatest team in NFL history on their 30th anniversary, the 85 Bears. Did it measure up to past documentaries, and was it worthy of the team? All of this and so much more on the 30 for 30 review episode of the Chicago Bears Review. I told you that I would be back, but I just didn't know when, forgetting that I had promised you guys a review episode for this 30 for 30 documentary. You know, I promised it way back. I think the season was still going on when they first uh, aired the commercial uh, for it. I said there will absolutely be a review show for that and just got done watching it about 20 minutes ago. Uh, So I guess you could also kind of classify this as a knee jerk reaction uh, show. Uh, to that 30 for 30 uh, documentary now uh, ESPN started this this series I don't know how long has it been three four years at least that they've been doing it to and it w- and they did it for their 30th anniversary 30 movies for you know the 30 years of ESPN and and so on and so forth um, you know and and I've watched I th- I've I've watched every single one of them and I've pretty much loved them all I haven't really walked away from one of those documentaries with a meh. I mean, even and it, and it actually they've been so well made for the most part that it doesn't really even matter who it was on, who the documentary was about, or, or anything like that. I've I've pretty much loved them all, and um, you know th- this one especially hits home for us as Bear fans. Uh, it hit home hits home for someone like me who had the great fortune of being born and raised in Chicago, and I was in the city, alive and well in 85 when all of this was happening, paying tribute to this this team, the uh, the 1985 uh, Chicago Bears, and um, you know, this, this, uh, like I said, this documentary was no exception as far as the outstanding work that that ESPN has done putting out these uh, documentaries, you know, here we are a few days away. Uh, today is uh, Thursday, so we're about uh, three days away from Super Bowl Sunday, uh, 30th anniversary of the the Bears' uh, past. Just this uh, this past Wednesday on the 26th was actually 30 years to the day since they'd beaten the Patriots. Um, I remember, and if anyone who, who saw that on, that I posted on Facebook, uh, who saw my little story uh, about that day, was um, my dad had a, a huge Super Bowl party in our apartment uh, in the city in Chicago. Uh, a bunch of his, you know, friends from work and you know, and everybody came over to the house and, um, you know, my I've never seen so many people in our living room before. And my mother uh, got it into her head that to 
you know, ease up the congestion of the house that she would, she and some of the other women would, um, would take the kids out bowling. And um, this was uh, not a uh, positive development for seven-year-old Larry D. back then. I was very much opposed to going on said trip with my mother. But because I was seven years old and you don't say no to your mother, I went along anyway. And then my mother spent the rest of the evening yelling at me from a distance to come back and take my turn because where was I? I was at the front desk trying to watch the goddamn game because the guy had it on a TV uh, on the desk, uh, you know, up front. Mom was constantly hollering at me to come back and take my turn, yelling at me that I wasn't being nice to everybody else and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's like I, I told you I didn't want to go. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to number one, I wanted to stay with my dad. And number two, I wanted to stay home and watch the game. And that's what I was trying to do at the desk. She should have just left me alone and left me at home and, and everything. I was there to watch the game. It wasn't uh um, you know, it wasn't about that at all. Um, dad has fond memories of that day. I think he still has the, uh, VHS of the game somewhere stocked away in a box somewhere. I don't even think he owns a VCR anymore. I know I don't, but, uh, we still got a VHS of the, of Super Bowl 20 aired on, uh, NBC, Dick Enberg and, uh, Merlin Olsen were the announced team, uh, calling it for NBC that year. So, Remember it like it was yesterday. Um, you know, I think the thing that made it worse for me was that we left after the game started. So I, because I, I remember I was sitting in the living room watching it when the Bears got the ball to start the game. Walter Payton fumbled the ball, like third game, third play of the game. And uh, the Patriots recovered it and took a three to nothing lead just like that. Like all of a sudden, the team that didn't allow a point in the playoffs is losing three to nothing to start the game and now mom wants to go bowling are you kidding i don't want to leave now but uh you know it happened and she paid the price for it having to yell at me for the rest of the night to come back and pay attention to the game and not run away from the other kids and so on and so forth but anyway back to the the documentary itself was uh it was really well done uh it was um it, it did its fair share of, of glossing over. It didn't really focus much on the games themselves. Uh, there were a few here and there that it kind of zeroed in on. Um, the Bears, like, uh, you know, kind of coming out party week three on Thursday night against the Vikings when McMahon miraculously comes off the bench and, you know, awakens the offense. You know, a team that was losing 17-9 to midway through the third quarter all of a sudden blows up and wins the game 33 to 24 to you know to assert themselves and you know in in the nfc and then a few weeks later focused again week six in san francisco the big revenge game they'd lost to the 49ers on that field in the nfc title game the year before 23 to nothing when they had uh, uh guy mcintyre who i think was the starting left guard uh for the 49ers running the football or in the backfield no you wouldn't he didn't run the ball I, maybe he did I don't remember if he ran it or not, but he was definitely in the backfield being a lead blocker uh, when the game was out of reach uh, for the Bears in the NFC title game. Ditka didn't appreciate that. So, of course, in 85, we had the fridge. And uh, not only did he put him in the backfield, but gave him the ball uh, on top of it uh, just to kind of twist the knife into Bill Walsh as the Bears punctuated their 26-10 uh, to 10 victory. And it really was in that game kind of the passing of the torch because the 49ers had won the title in 84 the year before. And uh, so this was the the passing of the torch from 
San Francisco to Chicago uh, in that game. Um, it didn't focus at all on the um, – I mean, it, it did talk about them, but it didn't focus on the Bears beating Dallas 44 to nothing. not like it did in the uh, America's Game uh, documentary that the NFL Network did because they kind of uh, – because the Bears actually clinched their division – that week when they beat the uh the cowboys uh it's a bittersweet victory for mike ditka uh because landry was still the head coach of the cowboys at the time and the bears really really just just decimated uh dallas 44 to nothing in texas stadium and um you know he ditka felt bad about it because buddy ryan never called off never called off the dogs he kept coming after dallas even after the game was way out of hand at that point and uh you know he went to apologize to to Landry for for basically for what happened and Landry just kind of brushed him off <laughs> and um you know didn't mention that at all it did say that in the last two games of the month of November the Bears won them 88 to nothing because they beat Dallas 44 to nothing and then followed it up a week later by shutting out the Falcons 36 uh to nothing so you know, it um, it touched briefly upon the um, the the time before Ditka added uh, was a, was a hired as head coach. Uh, talked about the the letter that the defensive team wrote to to George Hallis, uh, telling them that they needed to keep uh, Buddy Ryan if they were going to get any, get rid of anybody in the coaching staff. Buddy Ryan had to stay. And, uh, you know, they talked about how they being the guys that were still there or that were there at the time, which would be Otis Wilson, Mike Singletary, uh, Gary Fensick, and, and um, Dan Hampton uh, were all on the team in 81, I think is where the story begins. And, um, you know, Hallis comes into the defensive room uh, and tells them that, uh, well, if you want them, you know, you got them. You know, he was proud of the team for sticking their necks out for him like that. And, you know, that's how Buddy Ryan was still around, even though the the entire coaching staff pretty much around him was let go. Uh, Ditka comes in in 82, and things start to change from that moment. He comes in, and, and I, I loved it because they, they said it in the in – the, uh, or it was something that Ditka talked about in the America's Game documentary, and then something that uh, you hear from the player's perspective uh, in, in this uh, documentary was – Ditka said, I've got some good news and bad news. The good news is if you stick with me in three years, we'll be in the Super Bowl. The bad news is half you guys aren't going to be here for it. And, you know, talk about a way to shake up the locker room and to let them, you know, to really let them know, you know, I'm in charge. And if you believe in me, I will get you where you want to go. Because you have to remember back in 82 when Ditka took over as head coach of the team, he was a two-time Super Bowl champion at that point. He won both of his titles, or well, three times actually, if you want, to, if you want to look at it. Well, he didn't win the Super Bowl, but he a three-time world champion. He won the title in '63 with the Bears. Was traded to Philadelphia, then went to Dallas. Uh, won a Super Bowl, Super Bowl six with the with the Cowboys back in '71, and um, was on Landry's coaching staff when Dallas won Super Bowl twelve in 1977. So Ditka came in with a resume that said, you know, I have been around and been a part of championship teams. I know what it takes. You guys don't. 
you listen to me and came in with that authority and the team bought into it. And then slowly but surely, we build our way up to the 1985 uh, season. And the rest, as they say, uh, is history. So, you know, it, it covered the season really well. Did not really touch much on the Super Bowl shuffle um, or the phenomenon that was the fridge. You know, it, it really didn't go that in depth uh, as far as what their pop culture impact was. I'll talk about that a little bit more uh, here in, in a few minutes as somebody who was in Chicago at the time. It was it was a, it was a, a it was definitely where you want it to be as, as far as uh, that season uh, was concerned. But, um, you know, it, it talked about a lot of the internal behind the scenes uh, stuff. Nothing we really haven't heard uh, too much uh, before as far as any new any real news stories uh, uh, coming out. Um, one thing was um, they talked about uh, the last half hour of the documentary was kind of a bummer um, because it was the aftermath of winning the Super Bowl in 85, which immediately was the Bears being the best team in the league for the two, three years after that, 86, 87, 88, falling short all three times, the departure of Buddy Ryan, um, Jim McMahon not being able to stay healthy, uh, the Doug Flutie debacle in 86 that, um, you know, the Bears went 15-1 and in 85 and then followed that up in 86 by going 14-2. and two. So in 32 regular season games in 85 and 86, they won 29 of them and went into the playoffs with the home field advantage, best team in the NFL, best record in the league for the second year in a row, and got beat at home by the Washington Redskins. And, you know, McMahon got hurt before Thanksgiving that season, so they played the last month of the year without him. Um, very much similar thing in 87. That was a strike year, though, so they played three, four games without the, without the players in that one. That was Sweetness's last season. Then 88, the Bears went 12-4, and four, had home field advantage, and then lost in the NFC title game to the, uh, to the 49ers that year in 88. But, um, you know, so there was that immediate aftermath, the bummer that was the fact that this team that was so great – uh, will go down in history uh, to some as a uh, a one-hit wonder because they weren't able to repeat in 86 or go back in 87 or win the title in 88. You know, that will always kind of be their their legacy as far as, uh, as the, the organization is concerned. Um, you know, the 85 Bears, even if they had won the titles in 86, 87, um, you know, the 85 Bears would have been a team that would have always stood on its own just for, for everything that I'm going to talk about, not just the way that they won football games, but how big and popular and such they were off the field, you know, just as, you know, the the characters and, and um, you know, the fridge and, and Jim McMahon and Peyton and, uh, you know, Ditka being the head coach, Buddy Ryan and, and the defense and such, they were absolutely everywhere in 85 but um then as as we get deeper into that last half hour we start talking about um sweetness and how i didn't quite realize it but it is absolutely true 
Walter Payton, arguably, clearly, the best player on that team. Despite all that we talk about with the defense and and so on and so forth, uh, that 85 team, the best player on that team was and always will be Walter Payton. Um, He was the first one to die. November 1st, 1999, he passed away from uh, liver cancer. And, um, you know, touched on um, Dave Dewerson's suicide in 2011. Uh, Talked about the problems that some guys are having. Um, McMahon especially, they talked about how he has early onset dementia. Uh, had a medical procedure that he goes to doctors in New York to to help um, relieve the pressure on his brain. Like the narrowing of the spinal cord is basically plugging up fluid on the brain and that they have a procedure that releases it so that his brain will function better. The process, um, you know, basically allows him to function normally after he does it. He feels that much better and, uh, and, and so on. And, um, you know, so... That's the the part of football that the ugly part, you know, the part that because it is a game of violence, because the the men that play the game put their bodies through so much, the lasting effects of the game will plague them for the rest of their lives. And watching and seeing or talking about CTE and, um, you know, early onset dementia for McMahon and um, you know they didn't really talk about it but every time you saw Dan Hampton on screen you could see how mangled his fingers were from all the time he you know broke his fingers and and so on and so forth I bet it's probably not a whole lot of fun to watch Hampton walk around much these days because the guy had a million knee surgeries and during his playing days and um, and everything else so, I mean, that, that part of it, that was kind of a downer, you know, because the Bears, in it was a two-hour documentary. The Bears won Super Bowl 20, 90 minutes in, and then the last half hour was didn't go back as repeat champions. Buddy Ryan leaves, uh, you know, 86-87. They're still the best team in the league but couldn't get the deal done. Um, you know, then the, steam, then the team starts to break up. Wilbur Marshall, Otis Wilson, Jim McMahon – Everybody starts going elsewhere. Dave Dewerson leaves. He goes and wins a title with the Giants. Where Marshall leaves, wins titles with the Redskins, and 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 so on. So it was, um, you know, that part wasn't that much fun. But I mean, but it's history. So that's, you know, part of what they had to uh, put together uh, out there. So I mean, uh, f- overall, it was an outstanding, outstanding documentary. It really was. Um, you know, it um, it tugs at the heartstrings at at some times, especially when it's talking about uh, sweetness and you know what he went through and how quickly he was gone. You know, it's just like um, he had a press conference announcing to the world that he was sick and 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 what his uh, what his issue was, and then only nine months later he was gone. So I mean, it's just like you you found out he was sick one day and he was gone. Uh, the next kind of thing. And I'll never forget where I was when I found out that Walter Payton had passed away. I was uh, at school in at Western Illinois uh, University. It was on a Monday. I remember that because I was in my buddy's dorm room getting ready to watch Monday Night Raw because I was a huge wrestling fan. 
uh, at the time. And um, while we were getting ready for Raw to start, um, McMahon, Jim McMahon, was uh, was doing an interview via satellite, and they were talking about Walter Payton, but there weren't any uh, graphics up saying that Sweeten had passed away, but McMahon was talking about Walter in the past tense. And, um, you know, I just kind of said out loud, did, did Walter Payton die? And the other, my, my buddy's roommate was, was, just, was in the room with us, and he said, yeah, he, he died earlier today. And, um, you know, that was, that was tough, you know, because your, your heroes will always be immortal to you, you know, especially Walter Payton. Because the one thing that people don't really remember um, as far as the history of Chicago sports is concerned, before there was Michael Jordan, Walter Payton ruled the Chicago sports landscape. There was nobody that ranked ahead of him before Jordan came on the scene. And Jordan actually really didn't even start to take off until after Sweetness had retired in 87. Because 87, 88 is when the Bulls started to make the playoffs and really make a run uh, at the title. So it wasn't until after Sweetness had retired that Jordan really started to take over the city as far as being the sports guy uh, in Chicago. And, um, you know, Walter Payton was it, especially for me when I was a kid. There was nothing greater in the world than watching him play football. And going back and, and watching his film, there's no way anyone could ever convince me that anybody was better at him in the football, period. Because I've, I've, I, I watch NFL films like I'm a, like, a, like a junkie. I watch it all the time. You know, I, I fancy myself an amateur historian uh, of the league. You know, I really try to play, pay close attention to, uh, you know, winners and losers, who had a great season, who didn't, and so on. And um, I've never seen anybody on film or live play the way that he did. There wasn't anything that he couldn't do and anything that he wasn't better than somebody else at. I mean, he he absolutely did everything i mean then they showed some of my favorite sweetness highlights that one run of his kansas city where he basically bashed into anything that was standing in front of him you know it ended up being a run where he fell short of the end zone but he hit like 30 guys on the way uh to to getting that first down and just how amazing he was making people miss how he was not afraid to to run you over and um you know it is the bittersweet legacy of the the 85 bears is that its best player uh isn't around to be able to revel in what they accomplished because the other thing that they talked about quite heavily as far as the super bowl was concerned was the underlying current of the fact that um sweetness did not score a touchdown in that game and that uh at the end of the game uh immediately after the game uh sweetness was upset um, having a difficult time enjoying the fact that he just won a world championship um, for the first time in his, I think, 11-year career at that point. Um, not really being able to enjoy it, the, the, the bittersweet of it, that uh, he didn't get a chance to score a touchdown uh, in that game. You know, probably because not, I mean, and I don't think that he didn't think the Bears would ever get back there, but knowing that it took him a decade just to get there, he knew how hard it was to make it to that point. And 
the probability of them going back wasn't great, and the fact that that it ended up being his only shot at a world championship is kind of um, sad. That's something that I would like to hear about from him today, 30 years later. I mean, even when they were doing those America's Game documentaries, you know he would have been one of those guys that that did it because they always usually pick – you know, three, maybe four different guys to kind of talk about what went down that year. You know, Sweetness would have been one of those guys and, um, you know, would love to know his take on how he feels about it now. You know, was he upset about it then, but he's OK now uh, kind of thing? Does he forgive Ditka? Because, you know, Ditka has said he just said it in America's game. He said it in this 30 for 30. It's one of the biggest regrets of his entire career was not realizing in the moment that Sweetness hadn't scored a touchdown and, you know, it wasn't a priority for him to make that happen. Um, you know, what would Walter's, you know, take on all of this be now? You know, and for a guy, you know, just to talk on the CTE thing for a minute, you know, for a guy who was as violent and as, you know, and played a position that took more punishment than basically any, especially in the era that he played in. Running the football was the name of the game in the 80s when, when, when Sweetness was playing. The 70s and 80s when he, when he played, if you moved the football by running it. Passing was uh, you know, a supplement to help you set up the run. Now it's the other way around. Passing the football, um, you, know, you, you run the ball to set up the pass back then. Now you, you pass the ball to set up the run. It's just, that's just how it is uh, nowadays. Um, what kind of shape would Sweetness be in these days with CTE running rampant and, and things like that? Every day you keep hearing about an old school player that has come down with it. Um, like I, I just read an, um, saw a headline the other day, Kenny Stabler, the, the, the snake, the quarterback for the, the Raiders, had um, I think like level three CTE when he passed away. Frank Gifford had CTE when he passed away. Um, you know, there, uh, there's a doctor, I think the doctor from the movie Concussion, the actual guy himself, uh, is convinced that uh, O.J. Simpson suffers from CTE. Like, uh, you know, he's, he's convinced that if, if um, you know, when O.J. passes away, when they check out his brain, they will see that he's got CTE uh, kind of thing. So what kind of shape would Sweetness be in 30 years later uh, after, you know, delivering and accepting all that punishment that he did in the league not being afraid to take a guy on and 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 stuff like that what what kind of shape would he be in and how would he reflect back on the 85 season because that's the one thing that was taken from all of us when we lost him uh in 99 um back in 95 at their 10-year reunion the only one that sweetness was around for um there were still guys from that team still playing in the league i mean mcmahon didn't retire till like 98 something like that uh, Butler was still kicking for the Bears in 95. Um, you know, there weren't many that were still playing, but there were enough that, you know, this really wasn't something that was being, that was a documentary piece at the moment. Um, and of course, we lost him in 99, so he wasn't around for the 20th anniversary in 2005. And obviously, he's not here this year to celebrate the 30th uh, anniversary. But, um, Anyway, so that's just something that I, I often wonder what uh, what his uh, what it would be like to hear from him, because the thirty for thirty documentary, aside from talking to um, Jimbo Covert um, and um, 
Jim McMahon, it was all about the defense in 85. So we talked to Otis Wilson. We talked to Gary Fensick, Mike Singletary, Dan Hampton, Richard Dent. Uh, you know, those were all the, the big names on the team that year. That's who the, the Bears were all talking or who the documentary kind of focuses on as far as getting players takes. Uh, Steve McMichael as well, talking to them about, you know, what was going down in that year uh, and everything. It, it focused, as it should, uh, mainly on the defense. But, you know, from an offensive perspective, the Bears were the second highest scoring team in the league that year. And, you know, so they were a balanced team as far as offense, defense uh, was concerned. It's just the defense was insanely good that year, historic. I mean, that's why we still talk about them to this day. And it, it has little to nothing to do with the fact that it's the only Chicago Bear team to win a Super Bowl. It's just that nobody did it the way they did. No one has done it since they did it. And, um, you know, it, it's going to be very hard to think that anybody ever could do it, especially the way they did. So, I mean, going into Super Bowl twenty with the Patriots – the game was over before it even started, and then when the game took place, it was a it was. I mean, aside from that scare in the beginning of the game, Sweeten is fumbling the ball and the Patriots turning it into a field goal. It was a joke after that. There was no competition. The Patriots finished the game with seven yards rushing, seven yards rushing. We sacked Tony Eason and Steve Rogan seven times, a record that still stands to this day. You know, and if it wasn't for the um, the Broncos being a joke back at Super Bowl 24 and losing 55 to 10 to the Niners, it was the largest margin of victory in the Super Bowl up to that point. So, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was a pretty good day. But, um, you know, other things that I wanted to talk about was, um, you know, the, um, the year itself in 85, as I mentioned earlier, I I am born and raised in from Chicago, and I was, uh, f- what second grade maybe seventh, second grade something like that, back in '85. I, uh, you know, and it was my first year, seven years old, the first year that I can remember a true. I was a fan at that point. That was you know the first year that I was really engrossed in you know when the when the bears kicked off at noon i was on the couch watching the game with dad you know i remember vividly watching the bears and the redskins week number four uh theisman throwing that interception to mike richardson who (laughs) who i think might have the longest interception return that didn't result in a touchdown in the history of the game because he picked it off at like the one and ran it back to the one and got pushed out of bounds or tackle or something. He didn't score. I remember that. But, um, you know, a 98-yard interception return that did not result in a touchdown. That's got to be a record. But um, I remember that game. I remember watching the Bears and the 49ers at my grandparents' uh, place because it was an afternoon game being in San Francisco. Um, I remember uh, waking up on Tuesday morning to ask my dad how the Bears did against the Dolphins because I was – in bed i had to be in bed on monday night i didn't get to watch the game and him telling me that they lost it's like what the no they didn't they didn't lose it's like no they lost they got their ass whipped on top of it I'm like what that the, they can't they don't lose what are you talking about and you know uh yeah so that was interesting and then watching the playoff games uh with my dad in the living room especially the NFC title game uh, against the Rams 
uh, the remembering the moment that, uh, I mean, they even talked about it here as the moment that they knew they were going to the Super Bowl when uh, Dent sacked Dieter Brock and Wilbur Marshall recovered his fumble and ran it back for a touchdown to put the punctuation uh, on the game. That was it with the, with the snow. There was no, it wasn't snowing at the beginning of the game, but here it was snowing at the close uh, of it. Talk about real Chicago bear weather, as they called it back then, um, for Marshall to scoop up the fumble and run it back in for a, for a touchdown. That, uh, you know, the defense, that historic, um, you know, un, unforgettable, um, never-to-be-duplicated defense, putting the punctuation on the Super Bowl uh, you know, and heading off into the sunset like that was uh, amazing, you know, and to be able to witness all of that. I mean, talk about a year to cut your teeth on being a fan of football to for the first team that you really followed from pillar to post that year to be the best of all time. I mean, also <laughs> talk about setting you up for a huge, <laughs> a huge uh, disappointment. You know, when they can't do that every single year, you know, when the first year that you really pay attention, the first year that you really watch games from start to finish um, and everything, then you go back the following year and it's not as easy. It was the year before they're still winning almost every game, 14 and two the year after that. But, uh, you know, then watching them, you know, losing the playoffs and stuff that was that was those were tough pills to swallow, man. You didn't really know how to process that when you're seven and eight, and nine years old. But, um, you know, for me, personally, being in the city at the time, uh, in the heart of the city on the north side as well, um, there, if, if you weren't in Chicago while all of this was happening, you had a very different perspective on how this season unfolded. I mean, because there was no escaping the Bears at any point during that season. I mean, with the the fridge and, I mean, because that happened early on in the season as well. Week five, week six. Week six was the 49er thing. The week after that, the fridge scores a touchdown on Monday Night Football. Uh, and then it was just after that. The fridge had his own song, you know. Even before the Super Bowl shuffle came out, the fridge had a song that that came out and, you know, was uh, was dedicated to, uh, to him. Uh, if you could ever get your hands on the 85-year-in-review uh, uh, video it plays the song in that uh when it talks about the fridge and and the year that he had as a rookie and how he came you know the juggernaut icon that he was the the uh america's sweetheart in 85 if you will was the fridge just uh crazy how he blew up and with the defense and the personalities that that were on that team and for them to go nationwide at a time in the media where it was not easy to do that just kind of shows you how big and popular and how unique and special that team was. Um, you know, it, it was, and it to and to be in the city at the time that it was all happening, you know, the the impact was tenfold than it was on the on the nation, because not only did you see the Bears everywhere. Um, because they were doing what they were doing at the time, but I mean, and they touched upon it in the uh, in the documentary. Just about everybody on the roster had a commercial of some kind, so you could watch, you know, Cheers on NBC on on Thursday nights or whatever, and see the Bears do you know a handful of national or you know national and 
local commercials between, you know, during the commercial break. Like, yeah, you're watching, you know, Sam Malone and Diane, you know, go at it on the show. And then all of a sudden you see Walter Payton. uh, Then you see the fridge and and half the team doing a McDonald's commercial. And, you know, Mike Ditka is doing beer commercials and stuff like that. I mean, it was just insane. There was no escaping the Bears at that point uh, in time. And and the, the city... You know, for for all the teams that we do have and as passionate a bunch as Chicago fans in general are, the the Cubs and the White Sox, the Blackhawks, the Bulls, the beating heart of Chicago is the Bears. It is a football town because when the Bears are winning, there is nothing like being in Chicago when the Bears are winning. You know, I was in town. I I was, you know, I haven't lived in Chicago for a while, but I was there in 05 and 06 when the Bears were made their run back to the Super Bowl in 06, especially Um, that I I was in the city at the time. And uh, I was actually downtown when the Bears won the NFC title game uh, against the Saints. And after the game, walking the streets downtown was insanity absolute insanity the traffic was came to a stop people are honking horns and walking in the street it was an absolute out and out celebration the only thing that will ever come close to that will be when the cubs win the world series that's the only thing that will ever come close um to to that jubilation of people walking uh in the streets the long-suffering cubs finally win uh a world title which I'm hoping will will happen soon, <laughs> maybe in 2016. Who knows? But um, you know, this was in 2006, though. You can imagine the circus that was in '85 when the Bears, going to their first Super Bowl, their first NFL title game since '63, when Ditka, who was only a third-year player at the time, beat the Giants to win the NFL title back then, uh, in Wrigley Field of all places, and um, you know. This the city itself was just uh, just crazy over the Bears. I mean, you, you heard everything. You heard them on the radio. The Super Bowl shuffle was on a continuous loop on some stations. Uh, the bear bark that the def- that the defensive players uh, used to do just another thing that that melt that made them uh, stand out. Um, you know, seeing the fridge on Dave Letterman. Uh, you know things like that. Uh, when uh, when Walter Payton hosted Saturday Night Live, I think he did it with. Did he do it with Joe Montana? He did it with somebody else. I think it was Montana. But um, you know, Walter Payton hosted Saturday Night Live. That was insane. The Super Bowl, the, the Super Bowl Shuffle comes out. The fridge has his own song. You know, and it, it, to be in the city, to to be a part of it, to be in in the middle of it all was just. Uh, was unlike anything else I've ever experienced in my life. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm glad that I can remember as much of it as I do, being only seven years old uh, at the time. You know, obviously I didn't realize how historic everything that I was witnessing would turn out to be. But I, I, I think that even in my own, in my seven-year-old little head, knew that this was, this was different than, you know, anything else. So, I mean, and you also have to remember, this is only a year removed a year removed in 84, the Cubs were one game away from going to the World Series in 1984. So Chicago was kind of in a frenzy uh, about the Cubs almost going to the World Series the year before and to fall short in the NLCS 
the Bears a few weeks, a couple of months later, falling short in the NFC title game. 84 was a very disappointing year for Chicago sports. Um, you know, the Cubs falling short, the, um, the Bears uh, coming, coming short in the NFC title game uh, and everything. And then 85 was the redemption of the city when the Chicago Bears, the team that matters most to Chicagoans, won the world title. And um, it was uh, quite a thing. Uh, to be there every time I got in the car either the fridge song would be on or the Super Bowl shuffle would be on we did have a copy of it too we had a uh, we had a vinyl LP of the Super Bowl shuffle I think my aunt had a copy of it on cassette uh, and things like that that plain white background with a you know half dozen of the players and whatever it is and that you know kind of weird pose that they did uh, on the front uh, and everything you know, I wonder if we still have that, actually. Maybe my dad has it in all of his. My dad still has all his old vinyl records in the basement somewhere. May have to dig through to see if we still have the Super Bowl shuffle in there. But, um, you know, it was uh, it was a really, really special time um, in the city to be there and uh, to be in the middle of it. You know, that's, I, I wish that, uh, you know, if I had a time machine, I would go back to 85 as myself, as now, you know, obviously, how else would I do it? But still, to to go and just be there in Chicago as an, as 37-year-old Larry instead of 7-year-old Larry and, you know, witness it as an adult and, and to be around and, and be a part of it then and, and watch it all unfold uh, the way it did. Because, um, you know, every now and then the NFL Network will will throw us a bone and play the I mean this this around this time of year they they replay the old Super Bowl so you get to watch the Bears beat the unholy piss out of uh New England whenever they air Super Bowl 20 but um every now and then they'll play the um it was uh, like a week 10 game against Green Bay at Lambeau Field uh and it ended up being a tough game the Bears I think won like 14 to 10 or 16 to 14 something like that um in its sweetness at 192 yards rushing and watching Peyton do his thing 192 yards and and the fridge caught a touchdown pass in that game uh and everything but it, it really gives you a taste to see what they what that team was like how they they got after uh the quarterback and um the just how powerful sweetness ran how tough he was guys trying to tackle him literally bouncing off of him like he's superman or something uh was just insane to be able to uh to watch that uh and things you know to be able to go back and and witness and watch that all over again would be really cool if i had a a time machine i wouldn't go for a short visit i would go and stay for the entire 85 season just to be able to witness it all again so that would be cool to be able to to do that but um you know um as i said the uh the documentary itself was absolutely outstanding uh if you get a chance um i don't know how long it takes i don't know what the turnaround is for it to be on um netflix um but they put all the 30 for 30s on netflix um I do know that the um, another great one that they did recently was the Four Falls of Buffalo, talking about those four Super Bowl teams that the Buffalo Bills had. That's already on Netflix. I've seen that on Netflix already. So, you know, I think maybe at, at the most you're only looking about a month or two before it's, on, uh, before it's available on Netflix. So maybe it'll be there March 1st. Who knows? They, 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 tend, they, they seem to have a quick turnaround with the 30 for 30s to, 
to be available on Netflix. If you don't get a chance to catch it, um, then, uh, you know, that's that's an option for you in the future. But any Bear fan who doesn't watch this, you're not doing yourself a you're doing yourself a disservice uh, for sure. It was uh, an amazing, an amazing film. And uh, I'm glad I didn't miss it. So, uh, you know, also it gave me a reason to come back and talk to you guys and to reminisce about the the greatest team that ever's taken the field uh to talk about um the impact that they had on the city uh back then the the good fortune that I had to be born and raised uh from Chicago to to be in the city when the whole thing was was uh was taking place was definitely a unique experience uh for the 85 bears to be the first team that I really followed from start to finish and I mean what a way to what a way to start doing that and um you know the memories that i have you know watching the games with my dad uh in the living room um you know the, especially that that nfc championship game cuz that was when we knew we were going to the super bowl and um i remember that at the time mcdonald's was running like this little promotion where they were they were giving out these like uh almost like football card things that um had these little things attached to them that uh if the bears win uh you get a free big mac if they lose you get a free small fry or something like that they there was a there was a if they win or lose type thing uh to them and i had one that if the bears go to the super bowl and we went to mcdonald's right after the game and my dad argued with the girl behind the counter about me cashing in on my on my you know free ice cream cone or whatever the hell it was for the bears beating the rams and going to the super bowl you know it's like oh it says if the bears do this you supposed to so i want my son to have you know having my dad argue with that person to to make sure that i get what i was supposed to because i had the card that i needed to to win the prize and and, and whatnot so you know that's also something else i would do as as 37 year old larry is to go back and collect as many of those cards as i could and see what they'd be worth uh, today because those would probably be pretty rare actually but um you know and i'd also go to the parade so because um you know the one thing that that they did the one downer about the bears winning the title when they did was the challenger strategy that literally two days after the bears win the super bowl you know thankfully they were able to have their parade on the 27th the day after uh, I remember watching that on TV because I went home. I went home sick early from school, and I'm honest, honestly saying, I didn't do that on purpose. I was just sick. I got to go home early, and I remember watching the parade on TV when I got home from school that day. And then the next day, the Challenger tragedy. That's why the Bears, the '85 Bears, didn't go to the White House until like four years ago when President Obama uh, invited them to the White House because of the the challenger uh exploding the shuttle um the bears never made the visit to president reagan uh never got to go so i think it was like what 27 years after the fact it was 2011 2012 that the bears finally made it to the white house uh with president obama and um you know it's like basically the bears were forgotten under the blanket of the uh the challenger uh, tragedy that that once that happened that any mention of sports was quickly uh forgotten even even the most historic team of all time uh was forgotten about when something like that happens and um you know it canceled their trip to the 
to the White House and, and all the rest of that stuff. You know, so the 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 celebration was short lived, you know, for the team. It's like it really never really came up again until the 86 training camp started. So um, it was, uh, you know, tragic that that's the way that it happened that way uh, for them, that they weren't really able to enjoy it the way most champions were able to because of what happened that kind of uh, cast a dark shadow on what they had done. You know, the timing of it being what it was, you know, not being in their favor as far as uh, national events uh, were concerned. But, um, you know, um, one thing that I did jot down because I was writing some notes throughout was what I would really like to see now. Because we've seen this is at least the second or maybe even third or so 85 Bears uh, focused documentary that I've seen. Um always with the players and the coaches and stuff like that. What I would like to see is a fan perspective like documentary, you know, whether it be just regular fans or maybe even famous bear fans like Vince Vaughn was the narrator uh, for the, uh, for the documentary to, you know, was he in Chicago at the time? Uh, uh, Jim Belushi, you know, he's a diehard bear fan. Aston Kutcher, uh, he's a huge bear fan. Uh, Jeremy Piven, uh, from Entourage, he's a huge uh, Bears fan as well. I follow all these guys on Twitter. They're always talking about the Bears uh, when they're playing. Come on, Cutler, you know, stuff like that and uh, everything. You know, to be able to get perspective from them, maybe even, you know, from news anchors and stuff that were around at the time, whether they be local Chicago guys or maybe even national guys. I mean, ESPN was barely a thing at that point, but Chris Berman was around following the, the 85 Bear team at that point to, to be able to get it from people on the outside instead of seeing from the player's perspective and hearing the same stories over and over again. You know, what was it like? I mean, maybe it's, you know, a, a subject that can be covered in an hour, half an hour, and not a two-year uh, film like this one was, but something that I'd like to see. You know, what was it like? And, you know, to hear from... You know, like like I said, like news anchors or radio guys that were around back then that can express from an adult perspective what I'm trying to express to you now, what it was like for me, seven-year-old Larry D. back then being in Chicago while the 85 Bears were, were doing what they did uh, back then, you know, with adult eyes and adult memory, what was it like uh, in there? What, what didn't I know? You know, what didn't I see? Uh, and so on. So for me, like I said before, this was the first team that I kind of watched from start to finish where I was invested in them winning uh, and losing and where I was watching football for more than, you know, for, for any other reason other than just being in the same room with my dad uh, when I was a kid. You know, I actually cared whether or not the Bears uh, won or lost, not just because my dad did, but because they were my favorite team now. And it all stems from from 84 when I got to see Walter Payton play in person and break Jim Brown's rushing record against the Saints. I was in Soldier Field for that. Anyone who's watched the show knows that's that I've, I've talked about that a few times, but I was there uh, when Walter Payton did that. I was in I was at Soldier Field that day, October of 84. So anyway, I think that'll that'll wrap it up for now. Um don't know what the what the future holds uh in the short in the short term as far as uh when i'll be back again 
to uh, to do another show for you guys. Um, I was just on Football is America last week, and he and and Ron Rugg asked me, um, you know, when would I be doing another episode? And at the time, I didn't remember that the thirty for thirty was coming up. So, um, you know, maybe a, a free agent preview review thing. I've also kind of toyed with the idea of maybe trying to do a uh, a uh, year in review roundtable with some of our opponents, like try to get uh, like Chris Gates and Jeremy Reisman and, and uh, maybe Evan Western for an NFC North thing, kind of talk to them, um, see how that goes. Maybe I'll see if I can get that working uh, and whatnot. If not, definitely um, in March when when free agency takes hold, um, who are the Bears going after? Who did they get their hands on? Who did they put, uh, you know, who did they put pen to paper with? And, you know, uh, Jan- Danny Trevathan was making headlines in, uh, during, during a media day uh, earlier this week saying that uh, he knows that uh, he's going to be a free agent this, uh, this coming off season, that um, he's quite certain that uh, he'll be talking to his old head coach, John Fox, um, at some point during free agency. So he's interested in, in joining the Bears. They know we need linebackers. Um, so maybe we'll be talking about this in a month from now saying, hey, hey welcome J- Danny Trevathan, brand new bear, and so on and so forth. So we'll see how it goes. And then just real quick, obviously, this weekend, Super Bowl 50 is uh, taking place. And uh, I am absolutely torn on who I want to win this game. Um, Peyton Manning has been one of my favorite players ever. In my mind, is the greatest quarterback to ever play this game, uh, regardless of the fact that he's only got one title under his belt. Um, he's just as far as being able to play quarterback, he's the best I've ever seen. Um, he does have a championship, so he's there's no way he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. You can already just go ahead and punch his ticket. If the NFL ever did that whole instant Hall of Fame thing like they've done for guys like Gretzky and Mario Lemieux and things like that, Peyton Manning would be one of those guys. He would be one of those guys that would retire on Sunday and be in the Hall of Fame on Monday. That He would definitely be one of those guys. But um, So this has got to be Peyton's last season, his last game. He made it back to the Super Bowl. I would love to see him go out on top go out and right off into the sunset for him to deal with all the turmoil that he had to deal with this year and not playing well and trying to play through the injuries and things like like he's done so many times before in his career especially in his days in Indianapolis to be able to come back and lead the team to victories in the playoffs and get back to the Super Bowl and slay the dragon that is the Carolina Panthers the 15 and 1 Carolina Panthers to win a Super Bowl that way I think would cement his legacy in a positive way you know because even though he's won a world championship if he loses again he's going to fall into a Dan Marino-ish category a guy that yeah he won one title but he had a chance to win four and he he came you know he'd be like Jim Kelly who went to four world championship games and lost them all you know yeah he won one title good for him but he went to four Super Bowls and he came away a loser in three of them so, you know, that's that's why Tom Brady's better than him because Brady went to the Super Bowl eight times and lost half the games and blah, 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 however many times Brady's been there. But, um, you know, I think it's six times, actually. 
But still, he's lost Super Bowls. And uh, on the other side, on the Carolina side, obviously the head man himself, Chico Rivera, a member of this 85 team that we've been talking about. Uh, You have Greg Olson, who was, you know, probably has bittersweet memories about his days in Chicago, was run out of town by a guy who thought we couldn't use him and a GM who was dumb enough to listen. And uh, then obviously there's Peanut Tillman, who, uh, you know, was a soldier for the Bears, um, who played through the lowest of the lows and the highest of the highs. And unfortunately, his body failed him his last two years in Chicago, and he wasn't able to, uh, you know, retire on his own terms as a Bear. Uh, I'm hoping that's something that can happen. If this is Peanut Tillman's last season, that uh, he can sign a one-day contract with the Bears and retire the right way. Uh, He definitely deserves that. He's easily um, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, cornerback the Bears have ever had. And, um, you know, he's injured. He blew his ACL, uh, I think, week 15, week 16, very late in the season and uh, won't be playing in the Super Bowl, but... You know, I'd like to see him get his ring. And, um, you know, so I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for those guys. And I'm, I'm rooting for Peyton. So the Bear fan in me wants to see Carolina win. The football fan in me wants to see Peyton win. So we'll see how it all shakes out. I just hope overall it's a good game. And I hope it's not like it was two years ago when Peyton went with the best offense ever and was five minutes away from being shut out for the first time in Super Bowl history. So hopefully that won't happen and it will be a competitive game that goes down to the wire um, overall. So I think, uh, you know, it's one of those things when, when you've got reasons to root for both teams, you've got you, you can say you're going to go away happy either way. You can also say you're going to go away sad uh, either way. So. You know, I think I would be more sad if Peyton lost than I would be if Carolina did uh, because Carolina's in a position, aside from Peanut, of course, that they're all young enough and good enough that they could make it back. Peyton, on the other hand, this is definitely his last shot. Definitely his last shot. So, you know, I would say as far as sense of urgency is concerned, I want, I want the Broncos to win. I want the Broncos to win. I think Carolina will, though. So... We'll see. So either way, uh, keep your eyes on uh, my Twitter feed, at Shy Bears Review, also on the uh, Facebook page. Uh, Just search Chicago Bears Review on Facebook. It'll pop right up to find out when the new episodes will be coming. Will I be able to get get those roundtables arranged, or will we just move on to 2016 with free agency and the draft and so on? So keep an eye out. I will definitely keep you guys posted. And um, that's going to do it. And uh, until next time, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Chicago Bears Review. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.